Welcome back to another edition of the Parkrun Adventurers podcast. Episode 40. 40 is the new 30. But this is episode 40, not episode 30. Welcome to the podcast, Mel. Thank you for having me, Scotty. Let's crack on with the news. Not too much general banter this week. No, we're going to have lots. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's do the news now. It was an epic weekend for Parkrun with another record-breaking Parkrun day. 161,356 Parkrunners run-suited up for the occasion, with 14,057 generous individuals donning the distinguished and highly revered fluoro. This coming weekend, Parkrun USA will launch the country's seventh event. The much-anticipated College Park Parkrun will be launching in Maryland on the 15th of October. Still in the US, the 39th Chicago Marathon took place on Sunday the 9th of October, with Kenyans once again taking out the men's and women's running events. Australia and Parkrun were well represented once more by wheelchair marathon stalwart Kurt Fernley. After breaking away from the main pack with a kilometre or so to go, it was a butt-clenching finish, with Fernley taking silver behind Marcel Hug of Switzerland, who grabbed the gold by a matter of inches. For those states who celebrate daylight savings, the little hand on the clock was spun forward by 60 minutes on Sunday, October the 2nd at 2am. Some may comment that this is hardly news as it happened over a week ago, however the ramifications of splitting time zones in Aussie states has disturbed the space-time continuum to such an extent that jet-lagged Queenslanders, Northern Territorians and Western Australians are still struggling to catch up. Indeed, it is expected that residents of these states and territory won't quite catch up fully until Sunday the 2nd of April 2017 at 3am. The third annual Sungate Sunset Run took place on the 8th of October. The all-male team known as Too Fast Too Furious took out the overall prize for the greatest distance run in the two-hour open relay event, running 165 laps for a total distance of 41.25 kilometres. The Guinness World Record for the fastest relay marathon currently stands at a time of 2 hours and 4 minutes and 32 seconds. With the Too Fast Too Furious team this year adding an extra kilometre to the distance they achieved in 2015, they are on track to take down the Guinness World Record in 2017. In true Aussie fashion, they did it all wearing blue singlets and mullet wigs. And Mel... You got to experience those blue singlets and mullet wigs flying past you on the weekend. I did. You mentioned in a previous podcast how the hair lifts up off the back of your neck and there were mullets blazing in glory all around the course on the weekend. It was a sight to behold, that is for sure. And your team, Lazy Bones, was also a sight to behold. And I wasn't the only one who agreed. You aren't the only one. Um, yeah, so for anyone who hasn't logged into the Sandgate Sunsets runs photos and taken a look, uh, uh, who would myself. That be? Come on. Oh, that would be that would be everyone surely. <laughs> um, we got dressed up as skeletons, glow in the dark skeletons. We wore 
full body morph suits, black morph suits with glow-in-the-dark skeletons on the front. And needless to say, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Very warm running in a, war- in a morph suit, even when you don't start until 6pm. But the kids and the crowd, everyone loved it. They were just, it was all about the skeletons. And we must have given out hundreds, literally, of high fives on the run around because we had so many cheers for go skeletons and go skellies, you know. People were giving us nicknames by the end because we were that close. And um, yeah, oh, such a good vibe and so much fun. And yeah, we were pretty sweaty and gross by the end and grossing out quite a few kids actually who so sweet they came up afterwards and they wanted photos and then they wanted to give us hugs and then they realized oh your whole body is wet (laughs) (laughs) and not because I've been playing with the hose it's yeah so um no but it was great and we actually took out the prize which we were very pleased with for the best dressed team how exciting is that that's exciting I mean too fast and too furious yeah overall winners did anybody care that much? People were waiting to see who won the best dressed. <laughs> Am I I'm right? Not sure I'd go that far, but um, it was it was a fantastic outcome for those guys. Like literally, if they hadn't had to stop the clock at two hours, they would have reached that that Guinness World Record breaking kilometre, that last kilometre they could have done in less than four minutes at the pace they were going. It was just absolutely cracking. Um, obviously they're working on their technique and everything as they go and and we were really pleased with our results as well I think we came 64th out of 100 events uh, out of 100 teams I should say Um, and 27th in our category and we did 101 laps which is 25 and a quarter kilometers how good is that so how was the vibe I was there last year and it was awesome the vibe was great. We um, were in a pit not far from a bunch of other park runners. The Chermside Park Runners team were there, which was very cool. Mark and Siren and, and their buddies. And Gareth Saunders from South Bank, he was also there, not too far away from us. It's great because uh, Gareth and I both got nominated to run the very first lap, which was a little bit unfair because... You, the first lap you have to you have to go around twice and our pit was on the other side so you had to do one full lap before you were allowed to go into your pit um, and obviously I didn't experience this last year because I was not the first runner but yes we were both dobbed in by the rest of our teammates because it was our idea that we do the event at all and I, I ran up to him wearing my full body and when I say full body I mean there is a skull cap like it goes over your whole head all you can see is a big, happy skeleton face smiling at you. And I ran over and said, hey, Gareth. And he's like, is that Mel? <laughs> so I was pretty impressed that he, he, he recognized me anyway, even though I was wearing um, a full body morph suit. So, and he didn't know necessarily that I was even running. But yeah, no, the vibe was great. Everyone was um, cheering. There was so many people that had just come along to watch or whose kids had run in earlier races, um, or who had done the social relay. So apparently there's a rule if you run in the social relay, which only goes for 40 minutes, you can't also participate in the open relay, which goes for two hours. So 
Um, there were other park runners who had done the earlier event who stuck around to cheer on everybody else for this event. And um, yeah, really, really good. And I was super impressed that none of us stacked it <laughs> because the visibility when you're wearing a black full face mask is um, not great. How many laps did the full face mask stay on for? Uh, for me personally, it was that first one and three quarter lap. Uh, Adam and my brother Nicholas both kept theirs on for every lap that they ran. So they, they took it off dur during the breaks between running, but every time it was their turn to run again, they put it on. So they, um, they did a good job of doing that. But, you know, everyone who wanted the high fives, they didn't care if we were wearing heads or not wearing heads. They were just happy to get high fives from the skeletons and we were happy to give them that that actually really added a lot to the atmosphere for me this year was giving out so many high fives to so many people the support was just really awesome and of course the event was super well organized Vanessa and Dean and all the team there did an amazing job as did the volunteers um, next year we're going to have a parkrun adventurers team yeah good idea but hey, so I had some adventures on the weekend. What did you get up to? I did have an adventure. I finally got out to another park run that I hadn't visited. Well, actually, I had a little bit to do um, setting them up. Up in Castle, Maine, which is a regional park run in the middle of Victoria. I had a little bit of a boys' road trip over the weekend. And no road trip is complete without a visit to not only Castle, Maine on Saturday morning, but we also Freedom Run Bendigo in the afternoon. Both very flat courses. Lovely. We had a bit of a, a Westerfoldians domination at the front of the field um, in Castlemaine, which was nice to see. I wasn't part of it. <laughs> okay, but, other... but you saw it from behind. <laughs> yeah, I just saw all these black shirts <laughs> in the distance and it made me feel proud. Um, but I don't know if we've mentioned this. I mean, we've mentioned plenty of my mishaps on the show, but I've managed to pull my hamstring in an attempt oh. to... Um, impress my eight-year-old daughter with my sprinting ability, uh, <laughs> which surprised, surprised no one. She couldn't care less. But <laughs> it's resulted in me um, pulling my hamstring a couple of weeks ago. So I'm limping around a bit at the moment. But on Sunday, we had another um, running event to attend. There's a sweat versus steam event up at Echuca. And the idea... Steam being of the choo-choo train variety? No, no, of the steamboat variety. Ah. So similar to Puffing Billy event down here where we race the train, um, up in Echuca, you race the steamboat. And it sounded like a really great idea, running along the Murray, <laughs> seeing the steamboat, which can't really go that fast, can it? Surely not. With the current, sure. Surely not faster than people. Yeah. But the problem was, there's been lots of rain, and so the Murray is flooded. So the course was altered a few times, so we never really actually got to run alongside the steamboat. Oh, I thought you were going to tell me that because the Murray was flooded, it effectively turned into rapids and the steamboat was like a speedboat. No. I thought this was going to be an excuse story. No, no, no. We saw the steamboat take <laughs> off, and then it probably headed down the river for six kilometres and turned around and came back. Unfortunately, we were doing five loops around the park um, where we started. But I had my first run spew. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Thank 
Thank you for the share. <laughs> I've never done it before. So because I'm injured, I was just backing off the pace a little bit, um, just running around, seeing if I could actually get through the event. But then, like 500 metres before the finish, I thought, I just want this over with. So I picked up the pace a little bit, and that coincided with my hamstring completely tearing. And I don't know if you've ever done it, but this um, searing pain just rips right through the back of your leg. Um, the pain went into my core, and I just started vomiting. So it wasn't through <laughs> exhaustion or anything. It was just... Like while you were running, or did you stop and pull over? Well, no, I stopped and pulled over because I knew... Because I was so close to the finish, I didn't. the last thing I wanted to do is be running across the finish line, vomiting over everyone, <laughs> which I've seen happen. I just pulled over to the side, had a little bit of a spew, next to one of the marshals who, com- marshals, <laughs> who commented, thanks, mate, you've convinced me to never take up running. Mission <laughs> <laughs> so accomplished. Yeah, I left my mark in a chew car. Oh, dear. You've scarred him. You've scarred that, Marshall. Yeah. So that was my weekend. Great weekend. Great weekend with the boys. We had a good time. Um, just wish I didn't throw up. <laughs> well, what boys' <laughs> weekend would be complete without a bit of a spew? You may have been at a park run recently and you've seen people donating shoes. Shoes for planet Earth and wondered what that's all about. Well, Mel and I had, so we thought we'd go straight to the source and get Viv Katsunas on the podcast and give us a bit of a background behind Shoes for Planet Earth. Welcome to the podcast, Viv. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Mel. It's lovely to be here. Tell us a little bit about Shoes for Planet Earth. How does it work? What we do is we collect... Uh, pre-loved sports shoes which we pass to people in need all around Australia with our aim being that we want to get people up and off their feet because we know that sport can change lives in so many ways so just going out for a run or a walk gets the endorphins going makes you feel happy it also often gets you interacting with other people which is on the social side so it lifts your spirits you make friends and just doing the sport with new friends can change your life. So it's basically about collecting new sport shoes, which we give to people in need to change their lives for the better. I've got a question around how old do the shoes have to be? Is there a limit to... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's a very, very good question. So generally the men, they like to keep their shoes for gardening and then they like to give them to us. That's a bit of a problem because by the time we get them, They are very worn out. So what we say is the soles need to be in good condition with no holes. We also like to give shoes to people with pride. They like to wear them with pride. They don't like to receive shoes with any holes. So whether it be on the top or on the bottom, no holes. We also ask people to just give them a quick scrub so that they look decent, so that you feel like you're getting a reasonably new pair of shoes and not something that somebody just doesn't want and is just throwing away. So those are the main criteria. So we say no holes, good soles, cleaned, and then always tied together because sometimes you might get a batch of 600 pairs of shoes, and if they're not tied together, it takes a lot of time trying to find the partner um, of the shoe, especially when there are a lot of athletes who wear the same brand name and the shoes look very similar. And every now and again, you do get two different sizes being paired. 
but it's really very simple and it's easy for people to donate. Now, that was the men. The women, on the other hand, who, who are very fashion conscious, they love to change their shoes when a new color comes out. <laughs> we get a lot of very good uh, women's shoes, very good condition, because they change them so often. So, but we, we love getting shoes from everybody and we take children's shoes, we take soccer boots. It's really just about all sports shoes for all ages, something that people can wear, feel proud to wear, and know that they're going to get a bit of wear out of them. Because if we're going to be delivering shoes and mailing shoes to people, like in the Northern Territories, it costs us quite a bit of money. We don't want to send them shoes that have got holes or that are only going to last two weeks or a month. We want to send them the best shoes we can so that they get as much wear out of them as possible. Viv, do you find you get a lot of variety in terms of the sizes that get donated? I've got particularly little feet, but my husband's got very big feet. So, you know, it's it's difficult for us even to get shoes in our sizes in normal stores. So do you find many people donate them in, you know, not the generic sort of most popular sizes? Hmm. We do get a lot of about women's size eights up through to the men's size 12. We do have a problem because quite a few of our homeless people who we give shoes to have very large, broad feet. And one of the guys who are, one of the homeless guys who I know in Sydney quite well, he takes a size 16. And every six months or so, we get a request for him for a size 16. This is really, really tricky. So to answer your question, we get a lot of the shoes in the general range. If I do get shoes on the bigger end, I often put a request on Facebook for somebody who might have big shoes or I just ask around my running friends. Most times we can find a pair of shoes that are the size up to size 16. Uh, the smaller sizes we get, those are fine because generally we get kids shoes. So the kids shoes go into the smaller adult shoes. So that is fine. And we get down to baby shoes. So one-year-olds, we get these tiny little sports shoes. On that, my, my daughter grows out of her shoes really quickly. Yes. Um, you are interested in getting kids shoes as well to distribute? Absolutely. As long as they're sports shoes. We are very happy with them. And they, as you say, are often very good condition. And where do the shoes get distributed to? You mentioned the homeless. Do they go overseas as well? I've seen some stuff being sent overseas. What we try and do is we try and look after the Australians first. So if we have a shoe collector in Brisbane, for example, we, we try and facilitate that the shoes go back to the people in Brisbane. And we have a large database of both shoe collectors and the shoe receivers. So as soon as somebody contacts us with shoes, we try and find someone in their local area that they can give the shoes to. This is just efficient, it's quick, it's the cheapest way to do it. And we look after all the areas around Australia. Obviously, there's some gaps, but we do our best to do it that way um, around all the states. Northern Territories, we don't have any shoe collectors up there. It's just a little bit more difficult to find somebody who wants to give shoes. So to some of the indigenous communities, we send shoes up there. It's quite costly, but whenever we have some funds available, we send the shoes up to them. And there, it's mainly the kids' shoes because um, there are programs up there that we link with and they distribute the kids' shoes and they get them to run and the kids absolutely love it. This changes their lives and we're hoping that they will influence their parents maybe and their parents might want to go for a walk or get involved and see how positive it is for them. We do get international shoe requests, especially from Africa, just about every single week. It is very expensive to send shoes to Africa and it is also 
um, a little bit tricky because the shoes often don't find their way to the right person that we've sent them to. They seem to get lost along the way. We always do a lot of research into the background of the communities that are asking us for shoes. We do the website, the Facebook and all that to see if they are legit. And often it's churches and and orphanages and things. So whenever we can, we send as many shoes as we can to those people um, and we get lovely reviews back. We also send to a few individuals. We've got a runner in South Africa who we send shoes to every year and we've also got a runner in Kenya and he relies on us sending him a pair of sh- few pairs of shoes. And as you know, if somebody asks for a US 10, you can't just send them one US 10. You have to send like five pairs of shoes if they're a serious runner because they may be neutral, pronates, wide foot, narrow foot, might be 10 and a half, you know, they're all different sizes. So if we send one box to the South African guy, there are about six shoes in them. He then takes the shoes he needs and he then gives them to his friends. So it works very well. And as soon as we have funds, we send, we send shoes abroad. And you've been going, you started, the organization started in 2009, is that correct? Yes. And since you began, how many shoes have you supplied to people who needed them? We've, I just did a tally a few days ago. So we've given over 36,000 pairs of shoes to people. So that's really, really exciting. We try and keep a tally of all the shoes, but this is really difficult because often when we facilitate a a team of a shoe collector and a shoe distributor, we sometimes then get left out of the loop and they just set something up and they do it without us. Now, we're very happy for that to happen because we know the shoes are going to the right people. We would love to know how many pairs of shoes so that we can add them to the list. So we think there's probably another few thousand that are added onto the 36,000. But it's not about the numbers. I like the numbers because it makes me feel like we are doing something really worthwhile. Because when you have a charity, you just keep giving and giving and giving. So to get feedback, positive feedback more so, um, you really feel like you're making a difference. I'm curious, Viv, how did you come up with the idea? (laughs) Okay, first of all, I'm a runner. I'm a pretty serious and competitive runner. And I know how much running means to me and how much... It has helped me through tough times. When certain things happen in your life, you just put on your shoes, you go for a run, run through the trees, and it just clears your mind, and you just feel so much better. <clears throat> I obviously come from South Africa, and I know that there are so many people in South Africa that just love to run, and they don't have any shoes. So um, my partner and I went to South Africa to do the Comrades Marathon you know, just before we started the charity, and we just saw all the people there who had no shoes this was along the course as well as many of the runners who were running in not running shoes and we just thought man we can make a difference so I came back and I said we have to do something about it and I just asked I've for many years I just had my own little running groups wherever I live and I just said to my friends has anyone got any old running shoes and that's how it started so I just collected the running shoes scrubbed them in the bathtub and then packed them off to South Africa um, to try and change a few people's lives. Um, After this first box, we realized that it's very, very expensive to keep sending shoes abroad, something that we could not afford. So that's when we decided, let's look local and see who needs the shoes. And the biggest market here is the homeless and people like the street soccer program organized by The Big Issue. Viv, we know that there are park runners out there who are involved in being collectors for shoes for planet Earth. How, if... 
we have listeners who want to get involved themselves, how can they do that? Okay, the best way to do it would be to email me. Uh, have a look at the website or our Facebook page. So we Shoes for Planet Earth. There are two ways you can organize um, to be to donate your shoes. You can either do it as a group, so you could do the whole park run, or you could just do individuals. If you go onto our website, you can see we have something called Shoe Collectors. If you click on to Shoe Collectors, you then go into your state, and you can see if there is a shoe collector closest to you. And there we have about 80 collectors around the country. So you would probably be able to find one close to you. So as an individual, you just drop off a few pairs of shoes. If you were to arrive at like a podiatrist who is a collector with 100 pairs of shoes, they're not going to be too happy. So if as a group you do a shoe collection or as a park run, then it's best to deal with me because then we can organize the whole thing properly. I can email you posters. You can do it properly. And then you take ownership of the shoe collection. Then we will facilitate that you drop the shoes off to a homeless center in your area. You can be involved. You see where the shoes go to. And it's actually way more rewarding when you feel involved, see the people. You can even see them putting on shoes. Maybe you see them doing a walk or playing street soccer. And that involvement is really what is very rewarding to the people who donate shoes. Viv, you have inspired me to go get into my shoe collection and weed out the ones that are still perfectly good but I know I don't wear them anymore and get them along to a collection person or send them in to you personally. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're doing a wonderful thing with Shoes for Planet Earth and we've really loved having you on the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure and I love to spread the word about shoes and running and well done to Park Run, who I know a lot about because you do a wonderful job for so many people around Australia and the world. And I do often recommend to the homeless guys that they go along for a 5K walk or run and get involved. So thanks, guys. from Victoria from an event that has just earned its green 250 shirt. They are from Albert Melbourne Park Run. Scott and Joanne Watkins, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Mel. Thanks for having us. And hello, Scott. Hi, Scott. Hi, Mel. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Yeah, so for the purpose of the rest of the interview, I'm Scotty. And I'm Scott. And And I'm Joanne, in case anyone wanted to know. (laughs) You guys can just keep calling me Mel, so that works for me as well. We have the added pleasure today, the privilege of being all in the same city. We're all face-to-face for the first in-studio interview, except for you, Mel, because you're on the Sunshine Coast, so this is a real treat. So, so how part of, what part of that we're all face-to-face, except for Mel? How, how does that work? <laughs> the Victorians are all face-to-face. Yes. Well, like, like Albert Melbourne Park runs in the centre of the city, we decided that we were so close that it was better for us to all be in the one spot at this end. So, you mentioned it there, Albert Park's in the middle of the city. It's probably our most famous park run down here. Everyone comes to Melbourne, they want to go to Albert. That- yeah, I mean, we get a lot of visitors and, it's, and, and I think the Grand Prix track is probably a big factor too. There's always a significant proportion of our visitors who get excited by running around the Grand Prix track. The weeks leading up to the Grand Prix, when um, the week before when they close and you actually run on part of the track, 
I know, for example, our godsons, when they were down here from Newcastle, could tell me which turn it was. Now, Scott and I know nothing about car racing. It's not a great passion of ours, so we're always quite bemused by the questions people give us about um, the link to the event. So do you get people that actually come close to the Grand Prix that are just petrol heads? Yeah, and just discovering parkrun because they get to run on the course. Yeah, we 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 had a woman a few years ago from the UK who's quite a big parkrunner over there, and, and she actually works for the Grand Prix as their one of their timers, and um and they and she came along the week early, came out so that she could do parkrun um for it. But yeah, there's definitely um people who are big Grand Prix enthusiasts. And there's certainly, as I said, you know, there are people who come so they can run on the course, but it's only that one week of the year when you actually get to be on the road. Um, and they can tell you the corners and the turns and and we smile at them and say, we're here every week, come back and continue. So you guys actually run on road. That's what makes up your course. I only only for a few weeks in the lead up to the Grand Prix. So normally the, I mean, we can go into the course description, but the uh, it's very simple. We do a lap of the lake. Um, it is, we, we say to people that there's no, no shortcuts, just come back here and uh, we, we, the lake, path is actually 4.7 kilometers so we start a little bit before our finish line and um, do a single lap of the lake but in the in the lead up to the Grand Prix each year they do put a few barriers up on the path and shut off the roads to cars so uh, we, we get diverted onto the roads for maybe about three or four weeks in the lead up to the actual race and we are uh, we're very flat um, you know so when when Joanne and I have tourists at other park runs um, you know, Scott's beloved, Scotty's beloved Studley that I did last weekend for my first time um, is quite a challenge because it has hills, whereas there's a minor hill at Albert Park where you have to step over a little uh, raised bit of the path, and that's that's the, the highest point. You know? <laughs> I think <laughs> it's, it's like, five centimetres. Yeah. <laughs> um, you go so far as to call it a hill. A oh, absolutely. No. <laughs> it's our elevation. Um, we, I went to Lakeview for my cousin's 100th a few weeks ago. I had this false notion it would be like Albert because it was a lake and a view and I thought we just – and the hills. And my six-year-old godson told me to suck it up and just go faster. Do you guys find you get a lot of um, headwinds or breezes off your lake? Yeah, there's a, there's a big headwind um, down the back straight, um, and so the weeks, where, so sort of between sort of kilometres three and four, is is usually you're running into the wind, and the weeks when the wind is sort of swung around and it's behind you, everyone's so happy, and we get many PBs, and yeah, it's um, it, it, but the majority of the time, yeah, the the championship kilometre is the the three to four kilometre mark when you're running along the back between the palm trees, and um, it's it can be tough. That's the make or break. When people, the first runners come through, that's the first thing they'll comment on. And I mean, in Melbourne, we love to talk about our weather, but the track we talk about, the headwind on the back straight. The Melbourne Marathon's in town this week. Exciting. The yes. course also features heavily. It does. In the Melbourne Marathon. So you're expecting a lot of people who are tapering or resting this Saturday? Yeah, I, I noticed the other day we've actually got a few people, visitors, who are doing some volunteerism um, this, this week, um, which is nice to see. Um, and I suspect they're in town for the, the marathon. But, yeah, we usually get uh, a fair proportion of people who come along to either do a very gentle run or a bit of a walk and stuff because most of the course is part of the, the marathon. They, they're running on the road as opposed to on the on our actual path but running very close to it. So, yeah, it is a good chance to 
experience part of the um, part of the run, there'll, there'll undoubtedly be a healthy contingent of visitors on Saturday. And that's where some of our more uh, regular Albert Melbourneers who go visiting and wandering um, come home for the weekend as well. So everybody's in town. It's a big week for us. Um, and the run itself on the on the Sunday is a big time for celebrating and supporting our runners. Yeah, we've got some of our um, event team live further down on the course at Elwood, and they always paint some signs. You know, only what you've probably got three park runs to go from their house or something like that out, outside their house on uh, on Beach Road. And um, Joanne's also become quite renowned for wielding the park run flag and headset on St Kilda Road and encouraging people on. And I'm going to be with with her this year so it's the first time in a long time scott has not been a participant so i will he'll get to see what it's like to experience me at full steam ahead cheering (laughs) which most people quite freak out at for some reason um so for any park runners who are coming down look out for me just on the corner of the art center so i will be there to cheer you if you're doing the half or if you're doing the full i'll be in the vest um the park run with my headset on the vest is wonderful. I discovered a few years ago, if you wear a fluorescent vest, people let you go anywhere. Um, and I become a pseudo um, marshal because people are always asking you questions about how you get to here and there on the course and even officials ask me what's happening. So I, um, the guys on that corner have been setting up with me for years. <laughs> so they know I'm coming. So I'll, I'll be there to give you a cheer. Sounds like a big party weekend. Yeah, it will be. Now, Team Watkins... Scotty is your territory director, is that correct? He is. Or was at one stage? Still yep. is. Okay. Still is. A lot of people don't realise that um, as part of a territory director's role, we often need to replace faulty equipment and things like that for our events. Um, I understand at one point he sent you a stopwatch, <laughs> Joanne? The stopwatch Can you tell us story. a bit about... Yeah. Sorry. Please share for our listeners. Yes, this is a highlight of my professional career, that the stopwatch was sent to my work and I work in high school. Um, it arrived on the day when the VCE results are published and so schools are on really high alert those days for um, potential threats, students are very anxious, parents are. Um, and so this is the end of last year and we're waiting for this. I had forgotten about the stopwatch coming and I was in a meeting with another senior leader and the two of us were the most senior people on staff and admin rang up and said, we've had a suspicious package that's beeping and we're really worried about it. And we were both very relaxed about it and Julie and I said, oh, it'll probably be for PA. It'll be like, it'll be some sort of sporting equipment. And they said, no, they always leave us a list of when things are coming and it's in this box and it's beeping. And we said, it's fine, like, you'll be right. And they rang back and said, actually, no, we've called the police and they're sending the bomb squad. I like, great. So we, meanwhile, we're being very relaxed upstairs, going through all the um, VCE results, doing them out and downloading, dealing with students coming in who are excited or disappointed about their results. And we look out the window and the bomb squad arrive with their sirens and their police and they're going through it all and we get a phone call. It's a stopwatch. And I thought, great, that's what we said, you know. And then they said, Joanne, you need to come downstairs. So I come downstairs and there's a man who's in bomb disposal equipment waiting for me to lecture me because the parcel was delivered to me and it was the parkrun <laughs> stopwatch. So our whole school had been evacuated, the bomb squad had been called out and then I got this very stern lecture from a man who was not happy about responsibility and taking, being more diligent about identifying packages 
But because of the way our mail comes at school, you get a lot of mail. It had got attached to something on the bottom, so they didn't know it was to me. There was things on top. And I tried to suggest it wasn't my fault because I hadn't called the bomb squad. (laughs) Fortunately, I had previously cleared it with my boss that I was allowed to receive personal packages at work for parkrun, so I was not charged the fee um, for a false alarm. Um, Otherwise, I think parkrun may have been getting a large bill in the mail. That would have been or, a pretty big reimbursement claim to our territory director, wouldn't it? <laughs> would have been coming back to me, that's for sure. <laughs> Tell us about your adventuring. Because now that Albert Park has grown, mm. you've got a great event team with you. It does allow you to get away from time to time. I know you both love Albert Park. Um, but give us some highlights of your adventures. Yeah, well, we've, we were thinking about this in advance of this, and I, I think one of the highlights for me was our very first adventure. And you know, when Parkrun first started, this was before we were the yeah before we were the event directors, and and you know there were no other Parkruns around, and and we went up to Sydney, and we were so excited about going to St we Peter's, were really excited. Um, and and we we did a video in the lead up to it, which you know you can still find on YouTube somewhere, and we also took our iPads and and left one behind with friends at Albert Park and we did a, a live video cross between St Peter's Park Run and Albert Melbourne Park Run to <laughs> to sign- that this was how significant it was at our first Park Run adventure and we were like waving to each other and everything and uh, I I do remind Paul Wilcock who I, I now know that he was pretty unimpressed and, and not really that bothered that we had done this um, at, at St Peter's. But um, but everyone at Albert Park was pretty excited that we were beaming back live video footage from another park run. It was sort of like reaching another planet almost in, in those early days. Um, so St Peter's yeah, is the one that, I, that we've done the most out because our, our family's originally in Sydney. But um, but you, you did your 50th overseas. Oh, I did at Malahide in Ireland, um, but that's not one of mine. In terms, but, well, no, but, but you were, but on that, you were the first person to do a fiftieth run in Ireland. I was, and I um, was the first visitor they'd had, so it was a little bit like being royalty because they were so excited to have a visitor. They um, Ireland had just started, and they couldn't fathom someone doing a fifty. Um, I was a bit disappointed though because it's called Castle, so I was, and you, there's a castle on the map. But you don't actually run anywhere near the castle or see it. You run through the woodlands around it. Um, so actually you don't see many people and it was island. So it was really cold. <laughs> <laughs> it was really freezing. Everyone was super excited. <laughs> For me, the other extreme is Darwin. Um, lots of people in Parkrun talk about how Parkrun has helped them get fitter and healthier and they lose weight and they become runners and go on to be marathoners. My story is actually kind of the opposite. Um we started Parkrun and then it's nearly two and a half years ago now I had a, quite a serious injury that to my back which meant I wasn't able to walk or stand up or do anything and um, it put an end to my running career permanently and nearly put an end to lots of things but fortunately I'm able to walk and be around and go back to my job but um, it was a very long recovery process and after six months of being able, not, unable to do Parkrun, Darwin was where I finally walked for the first time and it was a very emotional day for me because it was the beginning of a new part of parkrun and it was an out and back course and a loop you did it twice um and so darwin i don't think the people there will know how um, special it was for me that they were very warm and accepting of the fact that i was walking and they don't have very many walkers so everyone else finished around the sort of 30 minutes and it took me my 45 minutes of walking. So my personal worst time was actually a real personal achievement for me and they 
were very generous in their support and they would have absolutely no idea. So Mark Connolly, sitting out there as the event director of Darwin, um, thank you so much for that because it was, I was, yeah, it was a real, for those of you who are listening who do run, you will know what it means to suddenly know that actually you're never going to do that again. Yeah, and we've had a lot of other really positive experiences. I think every parkrun we visit is obviously different to to ours, and um, we the the demographics of Albert Park are that we have a lot of people who sort of you know live in the inner city and um, come from wide areas. So we don't all live and shop and send kids to the same schools or anything like that. So when we visit parkruns that are more focused around a particular community or something, it's always really nice to sort of see that and see how you know, people know each other outside of Parkrun and, and, and things like that. Um, we both visited the ponds a couple of weeks ago and I was astonished at how quickly that had grown and how um, everybody seemed to walk from their house to Parkrun because they all live nearby and, you know, and it's a very different feel to an event when everybody is really, really local. Um, so, you know, really, really enjoyed that one. Um, so then I guess the other semi-local one for us is Penrith. So Penrith Lakes is at the bottom of the Blue Mountains, which is actually where Scott and I grew up. We met at high school. Uh, it's one of those stories and you tell kids, particularly teenage girls, and they go, oh, that's so cute, you met at high school. But it's very close to where we live, and I ran my 100th at Penrith Lake deliberately. It was my 100th park run um, as a participant. It was also um, coincided with my 100th volunteering um, at, a, at a, uh, an event. I think it was actually sort of like 130 officially because you sometimes do multiple on the same day, but each event. But it was my brother's first time as being a run director. And so it was, he's now gone on to sponsor that event. But, and my cousin and our nieces and nephews and our godchildren ran with it. And none of them knew about parkrun um, except for us. And for all of them, it's become an important, important part of their life. Also Penrith, like Albert Melbourne, he's flat and around a lake. So <laughs> it works for me. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a big fan of flattening around the lake. <laughs> <laughs> so we really enjoyed that one. There's no doubt um, the contribution you two have made to Parkrun. Um, it's our biggest event here in Melbourne. And, and you just touched on it there, Joanne, the amount of times you guys have volunteered. I think, is it safe to say you enjoy the volunteering side more than the running, walking side? I do now, yeah. absolutely. And I think for me... I see it as a gift every week that I get to meet people and um, I get so much back from it. Like I'm the relationships you form, the stories of people who Parkrun touches from, um, you know, they're helping them overcome health issues or being a real lifeline in terms of relationships. Um, you meet whole families. You know, I can got one wonderful family who come with four children every week, you know, and they're teenagers and I just think that's amazing that you can have something that a whole family does with adolescents, um, you know, or a father and daughter and the daughter's sort of in her 30s and this was their father-daughter bonding moment and she's now moved overseas for the first time and running over in the UK. So I think it's a real privilege to be part of people's lives and I just love how excited people get about it and I think Scott and I are really privileged that we have some of the skills needed to do this and we have the time and we can support each other in doing it. It changed our life. I mean, we moved. We now live... I'd be almost say we're some of the closest to the start line of any any <laughs> event. We live 450 metres from our start line now and we yeah. did that deliberately. So um, I certainly get so much out of volunteering. And we've also got to connect with a huge number of people. I mean, 
Bell and Squiddy, you're you're an example of this. Um, where you know we we've connected with people all, all across the country and the other event directors. And I was I was thinking about this earlier today. Um, so like Mel, you you and I we've only met very briefly once in person, but interacted a lot. Um, you know, online through the various um, platforms that Parkrun uses, and. In the early days of us taking over as as event directors, because Parkrun was still very new then, we had a lot of got a lot of advice from other event directors around the country. The vast majority of which, you know, we've never met in person, and that continues now. And you know, I I do you know for people who are participants at Parkrun, there is a a forum where event directors and territory directors and stuff share different things and. Um, I do try and support other events and, you know, try and provide advice. And occasionally there's things that are, you know, that do get discussed and people have different views on things. And I'm sure there's times when I've espoused views that people have sort of disagreed with and stuff like that. And it's hard, it's hard always to get a sense of the person when it's just, you know, typing things. But in the main, you know, I've I've benefited more than I've contributed from the other the advice and the perspectives from other parkrun event directors around the country, and um, and I, I think that's another aspect of, of things that, that's really great. And you know, a lot of the things that we went through in our early days, uh, other parkrun events are going through now, or you know, in in similar sort of things. And so, if we can help them do that, then that's that's another really important part of of, of, of parkrun. I mean, the other thing for me is. I work in, um, in high schools as um, in a variety of different roles, but um, I love the fact that I get to be with people who want to be there every week. That does make a difference. You know, I don't. I love. We both enjoy public speaking, and that part of the role, which for some people does prevent them, one of the reasons they don't want to be a run director, for example, is they don't like the public speaking part. We both like that, and I'm. And I remember someone saying to me once, "Oh, you're so good at that." And I said, "Look, I work with a thousand adolescents on any given day. This is." 400 at capacity, mostly adults, and they want to be here. So um, it's a great audience who are willing to work with you. Thanks very much for coming in, sharing your story, and I hope you guys stick around Parkrun for a few more years. Likewise, thanks for all that both of you do. And, you know, I should say, Mel, you brought it up earlier about Scott being uh, our territory director, and he has made an enormous contribution to Parkrun in Melbourne. He's not putting me up to say that, but I think it's important to put that on the record because he, you know, whilst we've been steady at one event, he's helped create half a dozen other events. And so thank you, Scott E, <laughs> for all that you've done for Parkrun in, in Victoria in particular. And I just want to encourage everyone out there to acknowledge the Territory Directors um, because it is – we were talking about this before, Scott and I, and it's a role that doesn't have the high profile that um, event directors or run directors do, but their work is so essential. So I'd encourage everyone this Saturday, if you're Territory Directors at your event, say thank you. Um, don't just ask them to replace their tokens or replace your broken gear or help you solve the problem or complaints. Um, so any runners who are out there listening without them and that massive time commitment they get um we wouldn't be where we are so it's important to be to to say thank you so thank you to our scotty and to you too mel and to mel (laughs) you guys are very sweet we'll have you back again look sweet is not an adjective often said so i might come back There are no launches to look forward to in Australia this weekend. However, anniversaries are abounding. Where can we go to for some cake this weekend, Scotty? Brightwater in Queensland. Ever heard of that one? 
I have actually. They're celebrating their second anniversary. I will be attending and there will be cake, I am assured, so I shall also be eating it. Grafton in New South Wales are turning one. Gungarland in the ACT are turning three. Kingscliff in New South Wales are having their fourth anniversary, as are North Lakes in Queensland. And to round it out, Paradise Point sounds like a lovely place. They're having their first anniversary too. Always lots happening on the social scene, but let's go back to last week's announcement of our Strava Art Contest winners. Quick update, costumes are being made. We use the term loosely, being made. I have I have requested uh, preferred colours from the ladies, so that's the first step. Believe me. Some good news. Some good news on the certificate front. The uh, ladies, Connie and Tina, have requested some certificates that will help the greater parkrun community. We're going to have some Club 50 and Club 100 certificates thanks to the Strava Art Contest. And we did, we did emphasise to the girls that it could be any kind of certificate. And they said, yeah, we know, but we've wanted this for a while. So, you know, they thought they'd go for that and help the greater parkrun community. But one thing we wanted to do was just mention a couple of others that were so close and deserved a notable mention for their efforts. In no particular order, Tim McKinley was our fastest effort. He may have been benefited by doing it on on an athletics track. He was also very uh, accurate with that fast effort. You know, there there are some people who did fast ones and their trees weren't as accurate as his was. So, great job, Tim. Our longest distance went to Maxawa, twenty four kilometres of a park run logo. Yeah, with six hundred and forty seven metres of elevation in there before he ran into a dead end. How's that for an effort? That was amazing. I was just blown away when we received that one. So awesome. We were blown away, but the accuracy well waned a little, particularly <laughs> when he, he was jumping over fences, I think. Or was it somebody else who was jumping over fences? That Melissa was Melissa Taylor. Taylor, who won points and an honourable mention for badassery because this lady broke into a local showground and, yes, during her Strava art, she was climbing over her fences to achieve her beautiful tree attempt inside the circle we both love dogs so special mention to alan hoskins for his 8.2 kilometer attempt with his dogs yes i love the fact that he got the pooches out there enjoying the strava art too because that's what it's all about you know getting people out and active and doing different things that they wouldn't normally do and he got to take the puppies along and let's hear from another one of our contestants on the same theme hello parkrun adventurers and Thank you, Mel and Scott, for organising the Strava art competition. I'm a Yaler, a parkrun regular at Albert, Melbourne, and I've just got back from the very aptly named Native Grassland Circle in Royal Park, somewhere I'd not been before, and a little part of um, that area of Melbourne that's always been a little bit of a mystery to me. So... um, Thank you for giving me the excuse to find that and a few other um, running or walking routes that I haven't um, been to before. It's been quite a fun competition. Thank you to you both for organising it and keep up the good work with the podcast. 
And thank you, Oyela. That was an awesome attempt. We loved how much you improved over the multiple attempts that you sent in to us. And you were so close to winning. You had just such a great final logo with your tree in the middle. So, yes, you did a great job and we're glad that you enjoyed the challenge. So close. We're going to do another one. We are, but we'll give you a bit of a break from Strava Art for a little while first. But there are more winners. Congratulations to Melissa Ellis. We ran a competition on Facebook last week. So your assortment of gifts will be coming your we way did. soon. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa, get in touch with us and send us your address so that we can send you your goodies. Thanks, Mel. Have you got any shoes you don't need kicking around your cupboard? What about those five-finger ones? You're still loving them? Well, that's the thing. See, I wear them almost exclusively now. I couldn't wear them during the Sandgate Sunset Run because my morph suit also covers all my feet like socks. They don't have individual toe socks on the morph suit. So I had to wear some other running shoes. Got some blisters from those running shoes. I think they might go in the pile of the ones that I can donate. How about you, Scotty? You got some that you can pass on? Look, I have. Thanks, thanks to our previous sponsor of Parkrun. Um, I was introduced to their brand of shoes and now I can't wear anything else. So I might give away all the other shoes that aren't the previous sponsor of Parker in Australia. <laughs> worst that worst commercial decision meet your feet requirements. <laughs> no, they don't. So I might send them along to um, Shoes for Planet Earth. Might go do that now. Yeah. Have you got the crime report there? The crime report? Remember we're going to finish with a crime report? Um, have you heard about the clowns? It's not parkrun crime. But yeah, a bit know. scary. Yeah. That's let's, bit... let's workshop this. Let's workshop this. We've got another whole week to... To not do anything you. and then have the same <laughs> conversation next week. Yeah, no, I've got... Um, I'm not very great with um, thoughts this Saying week. Saying goodbye? No, just any kind of actual brain function. You don't want to leave? Don't want to leave the podcast. Yeah. You wish it could go on forever? Doesn't everybody? No, because the um, survey results said 60 minutes, no more. <laughs> All right. Well, for the benefit of those people who said no more than 60 minutes, we should sign off. Thank you for joining me again this week, Scotty. I will see you around in episode 41. <laughs> <laughs>